Okay, so my favorite episode still is the one that I always tell everybody about, which is the first one where you are interviewed because, because as I've told you, just a lot of the things that you have shared about yourself and your experiences and your life have been really, really meaningful to me and have stuck with me. And that first episode was, it just really kind of, it was an introduction to who you are as a person. And I just really connected with it right away. And it meant a lot to me. And really every episode and every time you have shared things about yourself and and your experiences, it always is just meaningful to me and it always connects with me. And so that would be my favorite episode always. That's listener Carly Fulham discussing her favorite episode of the podcast. What I like about your podcast is the style and the way that you have thoughtful and really provocative questions that you ask your guests. Because I'm a I'm a huge learner. I mean, I listen to podcasts because I want to know stuff that I didn't know before I listened. And so I really appreciate the episodes where you have someone on who's an expert in what they do, like Julia Cowley and Bob Mata, who I've really, you know, grown to respect because I just, I have such a huge respect for defense attorneys. That's listener Kathy Belbin discussing her favorite episodes and what she likes about the podcast. I like so many of the episodes, but... uh... Julia Kelly's uh, episode, I think, is one of my favorites. Of course, everybody and Jason's as well. I think those are I think it was kind of just the whole feel. Um, I'm always been so fascinated by profiling. And so that itself may have just drew me in because I do love their podcast, too, that she does. That's listener Bob Rowe discussing the episodes with former FBI profiler Julia Cowley, who is also the host of the Consult podcast. But I got a hug from you then, and I've gotten so many amazing, I've got so much, uh, I've, I, again, it goes back to the thing that I was saying earlier, like it's really hard to produce anything, first of all. Um, it's hard when you're carrying around baggage from your whole life too. But, but the people that you meet along the way who give you the hugs, who give you the smiles, who tell you they appreciate you, who tell you that they now believe in Christmas after they hadn't for years. Like Jen told me, I hope that's not out of school, Jen, you told me that. Like so many people have said that like my little tiny show that I produce in this little tiny office um, has meant something to them is, has been like, again, like I can't, I can't even describe how much it makes me feel like I've done something really, really important. And the, the, the people, the people are the most important thing to me. And I, and I, I love all of you for that. That's three time guest and listener, Jason Ursay discussing how the relationships he's developed this year from his podcast, Santa May Be a Criminal, have brought him joy and created a greater sense of grace for himself. About giving grace, and it was from a conversation, absolutely, and I had a conversation with you and you on our Facebook group for the um, Fireside Chat, and you said, share something about grace, do it. And I shared a story that I hadn't told anybody, 
Um, and I didn't realize how important it was to me. And it was, it was about receiving grace from a little black girl in Cape Town. Um, she just came out and threw her arms around me and thanked me for coming to, um, coming to a community center. And that was such a release of realizing what I'd been holding back and the anger that I'd been holding back for myself and actually allowing myself to have grace in that situation, whereas it wasn't my fault. I was a child growing up in those circumstances and I can still, I can give back to the, to the community, but it's not a, a debt. And following that, in, this has helped my wife has been a wonderful year. Because of that, I felt able to then contact my best friend from Johannesburg, who we'd had a sporadic conversation. She's been through a lot in the last few years and you know we've run alongside each other but I reached out to her and I said let's have a coffee over a FaceTime chat and had a long conversation and now we are just back to exactly where we were when we were 11 and realized that there is a possibility to be soulmates as friends um, and she's our lives just are incredible and she's taught me so much and I think something I wanted to share is that she, t- she told me 2012 was a horrific year for her um, and she had a therapist who told her to take snapshots for the joyous moments. Because when you're going through absolute, I mean, I can't, unimaginable sorrow and unimaginable loss, there are moments of joy and we take those snapshots and we hold them close because we need to have those memories so we can hold onto it so we can see the light and bring that light back into the darkness and slowly those snapshots build up and we have, we can see the beauty in amongst the suffering. That's listener Jennifer Cunningham discussing growing up in South Africa and how the relationships she's developed this year have helped allow her to deal with her grief over apartheid. The loss of that relationship gave me so much more freedom. And that's how I found all of you because I had so much time and I was just going through it. So I'm like, I'm just going to listen to all these podcasts. And I did. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I had been in that relationship. When I lost my dog a few months ago, it was the most traumatic, awful, grief-stricken time I've ever been through. And there's some people who will be like, it's just a dog. But he was my best friend for 14 years. And I don't think I would have been able to grieve for him how I needed to if I had been in that relationship. I want to have the like freedom to express my grief. That's listener Sophie Tibbetts discussing how something that seemed bad, a relationship ending, turned into a gift. Okay, so I'm going to be quick because I do want to piggyback or go back, circle back to what Kathy was talking about quickly. I think my favorite episodes of several, I did like the one of course with the prosecutors i did um really enjoy that i love the one with robert parma parma too um getting to know him and um what he's trying to do and bring about in the true crime uh community and um of course the was it lost sheep the one about the um the religious cult so i thought those were really good That's listener Elizabeth McMaster discussing the episodes that have been most meaningful to her this year.
This is the Silver Linings Handbook podcast. I'm Jason Blair. This is a part of a discussion I recently had on the meaning of the holidays, family, friendship, and community with several of our listeners. As we head toward the end of the year, I thought it would be nice to celebrate our 50th episode with a group of listeners I've met over the course of the past year. The group of listeners are people that I often receive feedback from, consult on their ideas, and simply listen to their stories. Their lives often give me inspiration for the guests I bring on to the show. Since we started in February, the show's evolved in terms of the topics, many I never would have foreseen addressing, guests I would have never imagined having on, and a group of listeners I never would have imagined. I appreciate my listeners for listening each week to our guests, but one thing I've learned this year is that they are very much a part of the podcast, as much as my guests or me. You'll often hear me referring to we when I talk about the podcast. They, our listeners, are the we I'm talking about. People often ask me, what's the key to interviewing others? And I tell them it's not about coming up with great questions. Research plays a role in preparing for interviews, but while important, it's not that either. What really, what really, 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 really is important is that you don't stick to any script, that you simply listen to what the person in front of you says in the moment and respond with your authentic thoughts, feelings, and questions. So today, we have Carly Fulham, a listener from Arizona who I often find comfort in her kind words and remarks and good advice. Kathy Bilbin, a screenwriter and teacher from Washington State, who came to us through our mutual connection to two guests, Gloria Crow Boberitz and Brandon Trand. Elizabeth McMaster, a listener from Virginia, an attorney who joined us for an episode in November where we discussed an area of law meant to protect the elderly and disabled from dangers in the world. Jennifer Cunningham, a listener from England, who is also a connoisseur of joy and takes a realistic approach to finding and bringing happiness into the world. Bob Rowe, a listener and paramedic from Atlanta. He's brought a great comfort in a year where my mom died. And Sophie Tibbetts, a thoughtful listener from the Fond du Lac Reservation in Minnesota, who I'm convinced has no idea how wise she is. But last but not least, three-time guest Jason Ursey joins us. Jason has been on a talk or been on to talk about writing, fiction, and his podcast, Santa May Be a Criminal. Santa May Be a Criminal, it's a true crime podcast that's really about hope and healing with a side sort of journey through the question of whether Santa is actually a criminal. It's a wonderful group of people, a wonderful group of human beings, and I'm so grateful not only to have them as listeners, but in my life. For a lot of podcasts, you develop what we call parasocial relationships. That's where most of the energy in a relationship really comes from the listeners, and it's very one-sided. But these are true friendships with depth and meaning, and I have such gratitude for this podcast that's put us all on a collision course. Today, we're going to discuss the meaning of the holidays, family, and community. I picked this topic because it's something I've learned from two of my guests, Brett Talley and Alice LaCour of the Prosecutor's Podcast. They pointed out in their episodes with us that what primarily drives them to continue their podcasts is not their interest in law or true crime, which both run deep. 
but the community that they've built at a time when so many of our traditional communities, as Brett said, are broken and at a time where we need community the most. So with that, let's do this. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to thank you guys for joining me today. This is our 50th episode, not including the bonus episodes. And, you know, it's funny. A year ago, when I started to think about the podcast, I would have never imagined such a like broad group of uh, listeners finding such, I guess, interesting and caring people. But what I really would not have imagined is becoming friends with all of you guys. We've got listeners all over the country, you know, like Virginia is our top state, which makes sense because that's where I live. But, you know, next is Washington State, where Kathy's from, California, Texas, Georgia, where Bob and Jason are from, and Ohio. And then our largest international audience, you know, the United States, but then followed by England, Australia, Belgium, and then if you can believe this, guys, Romania. Um, So, you know... The reason why I say that is like, it's really cool. I thought this would be a very like laid back podcast where there'd be like 13 listeners and they'd all be my family or colleagues. But it's really awesome to me that some of the messages that my guests have brought um, have reached so many people in such a large area. And one of the most, I was telling you guys off mic that one of the most important things I think to me has been that we have built a really broad, diverse, and supportive community, not just like on the Silver Linings Fireside chat on Facebook or even the new Patreon page that we just started, but a, but a community in the sense, like in the true sense of a community, that we, which is really about relationships. And I'm really grateful for the relationships that I have with all of you guys. So I just wanted to thank you. And I wanted to just start by asking some of you guys how you found the podcast. And I'm going to start with Carly, because Carly is, you know, my, uh, my joy, the joy factory for me. So I'm curious, how did you find the podcast? I found the podcast through the prosecutors, um, which is how I found a lot of my favorite podcasts. And I, I think someone mentioned it might have been Brett that mentioned it in the gallery. And I listened and I loved it immediately. Um, And I'm really, really, really picky about podcasts. I have my set favorites that I'm very loyal to. And I don't branch out that often. But when I listened to yours, I just loved it right away. And I went back and listened to like, I think six episodes in a row. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just I loved it. I really connected with it. Um, And And then you didn't say, I never want to hear this dude's voice again. (laughs) No, I said I loved it and it became one of my favorites. And so I really, um, that's kind of how podcasts always are for me is I either connect with it right away or I don't. And yours was one that I just loved. And I loved your personality, the way you talked, the things that you talked about. Um, So I was really, really grateful that um, it was suggested to me. That's awesome. And grateful for you. Like that means I lucked out. Another thing to thank Brett and Alice for 
So how about you, Jen? How did you find us? I found you through Jason being interviewed with um, Santa Media Criminal. And I just really enjoyed the conversation. And I went back and listened to to some of your previous episodes. And then I went right back to the beginning. And it was incredible because there's so many parts that actually relate to the work that I'm interested in with working in mental health, um, especially in the work environment. So it's been incredibly beneficial in so many more ways than just um, helpful to me to listen to. Yeah, that's awesome. I am. Um, I remember Carly. I don't know if I ever told you about this, but like you had posted this, you know, uh, post to someone else where you were telling somebody to go back to the first episode, and I was like, "What was what was in the first episode?" <laughs> and I I went back. It's not that I didn't remember it, but so you know that was so meaningful, and I kind of I think realized over time it was like just setting the tone of candor with people and making it a safe space for guests to just be honest about who they are. And I've had a couple guests over time, like I um, say like, wow, I never, I didn't expect this to be like this. I thought it was going to be a more traditional interview. And um, I guess I didn't realize that it brought something different to people. So since you mentioned Jason. Let's ask Jason slash Richie Buck slash head elf of the of Santa Maybe a Criminal Podcast, which is a great one. If any of my listeners are not listening to it, I just want to ask you what's wrong with you. So <laughs> <laughs> feel free to message me with the answers. <laughs> so Jason. Yeah, so it was definitely the prosecutors. And, you know, I I, I started kind of listened to you a little bit and then I reached out to you and um, I like, I just think, you know, like what you said, like you provide a space that people can be candid and um, that it feels so like your, your shirt says conversations that inspire. Right. And that's the thing. Like, it's not an interview, it's a conversation. And that, that meant a lot to me because I did feel like your curiosity led you to like the conversations you were having. And, and so I, you know, I reached out to you and said, Hey, I want to get to know you. And you were like, yes, let's get to know each other. And then like three hours later, like, <laughs> we're like, okay, let's do a show together. And then, <laughs> and then like, you're like, you're like, we'll do a show sometime in the future. And then like three days later, you're like, my guest dropped out. Can we do a show this week? And I was like, <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> You know, I stay up until all hours in the morning because that's what I do anyway. So, um, and then we had another amazing chat then, and we've had so many amazing chats, and you know, both on mic and off mic um, that are very, very meaningful to me. And I, you know, I, I count you so, as yeah. one of the, the greatest people I've ever met and, and and ever known. And I really appreciate what you offer that you just give people an opportunity for their voices and their words to matter. And I, that's sort of the thing that I lean on is that words and stories matter. And mm-hmm. you really, you, you get the platform for that. So I think I, you, you do the same thing. I haven't said it on this podcast yet, but um, we're, Jason and I are going to be doing a podcast in the new year, probably around the second quarter of the end of yeah the first quarter of the year, but I think it really comes from our shared desire to be able to tell more of the good 
um, to give people more inspiration in life. And, you know, true crime space sort of seems like a weird space for us to do it in. But if you think about how many of the people who are on this call who come from the true crime space and we found like what your podcast does, like a lot of joy and love and happiness and advice. And I think probably a lot less anxiety and sadness because of those connections. Yeah. I think that, you know, one of the things that really gets me jazzed up about it is that, you know, most of the things that happen in the true crime space are the most horrific, awful, most terrible things that anybody could possibly experience. But a number of those people turn the worst experience of, of their lives into a point, a counterpoint, and bringing joy and hope and support for other people that may experience those things. And I think that that is something that's really worthy of being talked about. It's incredible that people can rebound from those horrific things that happen to them, the the worst things in the world, and have the strength to actually not only just exist after, but to actually go on and do good things. And I think that that's I think that fits with both of our brands and our and who we are as people. And so I'm really excited about sharing those stories because I think it's really important to know that like, you know, it doesn't have to be the end. Like this, you know, it's it's awful and you will always grieve and you always have a hole in your heart, but you can also continue on and help others. And so that's really, really cool and important to me. And I'm so glad that you, you made the suggestion, not me. Like, I'm so glad that you offered that up because it, it, you know, it fits right in what I want to be a part of. So I appreciate you, man. And for the record, I actually think you made the suggestion first, like at the end of our first episode. So how about you, Kathy? How did you find this crazy land? (laughs) Well, I found you through through the podcast that I'm researching and writing for, which is called Snake River Killer, hosted by Brandon Schrand. Um, and one of the other people on that podcast was interviewed on your show, Gloria Boberts. And I think that's how we got connected. Gloria. I ended up writing to yeah, you. Gloria's uh, amazing. Yeah. I, I just ended up messaging you and asking you. Um, I know I knew that you had made a visit out West to meet with Brandon and Gloria and to visit the sites in the podcast. And, um, and we just started talking. Yeah. It's um, for those of you who don't know, Gloria is the one who came on and talked about her cousin, Christina Nelson, who had been, murdered by a suspected um, serial killer in Idaho and Washington. And if you don't know the Snake River uh, Killer podcast, Brandon was also on recently. But one of the things that is kind of amazing about what Brandon's done is just sort of like we bring together our listeners. He's brought together, um, he's brought together many of his listeners like Kathy to bring their expertise and research, linguistics, criminology. And now it's become not just a community. The suspect is known. And uh, the suspect is also, you know, uh, probably responsible or potentially responsible for, for more murders. And it, it's neat to see all these people come together to try and uh, not just bring justice, but bring uh, 
healing to the families because several of the victims are also missing. I liked it when I first started listening to it because, you know, I teach English and psychology and I really appreciated the the care Brandon takes, um, that his episodes are really carefully written. And I like that he's taking a very ethical approach to investigating. And I just, it's a very powerful story, a series of stories. And I think we're going to get somewhere with it. I think we're going to push law enforcement towards investigating more. I think you actually have already, but we don't officially know. But I think you have already, possibly. I may have heard. Um, Sophie, how about you? Oh, my um, how did I find you? The prosecutors. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I think it was just in the chats on the lives and we went back and forth and laughed about things and made little jokes. And then I seen, I don't remember who it was. They said that you had your own podcast. So I was like, well, I have to listen. So <laughs> I did. And um, I just really appreciate all the things that you talk about. I love listening to people and hearing stories. And I love hearing how people's minds work. And I love sometimes the randomness that comes with your interviews. And it's really enjoyable. I, I just love it. And I love you, so it's Aww. it's great. I love you too. You already know that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I've said it on air, but like, uh, Sophie's the person who comes and finds me when I'm trying to hide, <laughs> and she checks in. I think, yeah, you mentioned the randomness of the interviews, but like, it, you know, Jason said this before. We come up with scripts that end up being ideas for people. But I really believe in the idea that like, I don't know the story that my guests really have to tell and only they really know it. So I can come up with whatever plan, but I just need to listen to them as they talk and figure out where it's supposed to go. And I love that. And it, it feels so much more real when it's like that. When it, when it sounds like an actual conversation between people who genuinely care about what the other one is saying. Yeah. Awesome. Bob, Elizabeth, I think you're the last for our where'd you find us and why on earth are you still here? <laughs> Go ahead, Elizabeth. Uh, okay. Uh, well, this is going to be redundant, but uh, the prosecutors is where um, I first started chatting with you during a live, I believe. Just uh, we we're chatting about things and I saw your name and I'm, I have a memory somewhat of an elephant. And mm-hmm. I went, is this the Jason Blair? <laughs> the and, one uh, or possibly two only. <laughs> yes. And uh so I was intrigued because I remember you went through it and um, you and in the chats were just so lovely and so kind and to go through all of that and to come out being so resilient and so hopeful. It was, it was really to me 
touched in my heart and I thought, I want to know this person because you are just such a strong person. And um, so anyhow, that's how I, how I found you. And I came to call you my friend and uh, love you bunches. And you moderate our fireside chat group, which is awesome. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned the going through it. Like, I really think to some extent, yes, I went through something and it was very difficult. But I think an important piece of that is like, I did it to myself, right? Like, I'm responsible for it. And I'm also responsible for finding good to come out of it. But it changed my life. I tell people all the time that like, it was horrible. But if I had to go through it again, and you gave me a magic wand, and you told me this is the only way I would grow into who I am right now, with like more humility and more love for people and more compassion for people, I, it's crazy, but I would do it again. So well, and I think, you know, many people do that, Jason. However, you are in the public eye too. And to me, that's even more of a mountain. And to come through that, I'm just, I'm in all of you, honestly. Well, what I really hope, like, people realize by hearing my story that it's very similar to what's going on in their lives on a much more private level. And I hope they look at my story and say, if somebody could have gotten through this in a public sphere, I can find a private space to help me get through it. Like it gives people, hopefully it gives them help. Thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah. Bob, last but not least. So um, this is going to be different. Um, I heard about you on the prosecutor's podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah, mm. shocking, right? <laughs> totally huh. shocking, yeah. Um, it, it really, and then I started listening, and it was, it just put you in that mindset of I'm sitting down having a conversation with a good friend, even though I'm not talking, although I probably am out loud. If you were around me, you'd see earbuds in and I'm talking because I'm participating. But it's really, it's such an honest back and forth conversation that I think is so important for all of us to participate in and the the entire community. And I'll, I'll say it true crime community in air quotes, but just the community that seems that we've all seemed to connected and made has been really some of the best people I know. Hmm. It's really been um, impressive because there's parts of the true crime community that aren't ideal, but there are really good people out there and they really have hearts and they really care about what's going on and what they can do. And it's just been refreshing. Um, I've just really been amazed how nice it's been. Yeah. And, and I, I would have never guessed and in entering it that the most amazing thing about it is like watching people who are the listeners show love to each other in addition to caring about the cases. Yes. And to me, it's like, Wow. You've landed in true crime because you like to podcast, and now you're making a huge difference in that person's life, one person's life. Absolutely. Yep. So I'm going to go ahead and get us started. Well, that was getting us started, but <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to Sophie. And yeah, I know. I, I deliberately picked you as 
as the spokesperson. Uh, um, but you know, you mentioned that we had noticed each other in the chats and um, and uh, for the prosecutors, and I always felt like you were really nice and you were really funny, and I enjoyed going back and forth with you. But over time, like anytime you answered a longer question, I was like, "Oh wow, this woman is so wise." And and then I would see you make comments about yourself, and I'm like, and she has no bloody idea how wise she is. And there was this one time where we were having a fun back and forth in one of the chats, and you know we were talking about something. I don't even remember what it is because it's not it doesn't stick out in my mind anymore. But you had made a comment about like Bigfoot, right? And your frustration with some people making flippant jokes about Bigfoot. And you began to sort of tell us about how it fit within Native American cultures. And I'll let you say it because you'll say it better than I would. And what really moved me about it was just how informative and thoughtful it was. But you were able to communicate it in a way where the people in the conversation didn't feel defensive or threatened about being insensitive and we all sort of like grew and learned something important later and i i don't think i've ever told you but i went into work and one of my best friends at work she's native american and we started talking about it and it created sort of like a deeper connection for us and a meaningful thing yeah and so i just wanted to ask you about like community and connection and it means so many different things to so many different people but I feel like you've added so much to, at least in my mind, the Jason community, the community that I, that's important to me. I don't mean necessarily the podcast, this podcast community. So I'll go ahead and throw it to you. Well, uh, thank you for having me. Boujou. Mm-hmm. That means hello. What language? It's Ojibwe. Ah, nice. I'm, um... I'm an enrolled member of the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior, Chippewa. Hmm. So communities, I feel like that's such a broad term. I belong to many communities, but my involvement in them varies. Like I'm from my town, I'm from my reservation, I'm part of running communities, mom communities, podcast communities, but my involvement with each one of them is different. Mm -hmm. So when I was growing up, I didn't really feel like I was a part of any community. I was kind of the outsider of both. I didn't feel really part of my res community because I'm blonde and I have blue eyes We live just on the outside of the reservation, so not even on the res. But then when I went to town, it was different because I didn't really fit in there either. So when you bring up me defending Bigfoot, it's just, it kind of ties back into something I've had to do my whole life. Mm -hmm. Growing up in town, looking how I look, people would make comments about native people all the time and they would do it in front of me you know because why not you would have never thought you yeah would. so i've told that, people like a lot of people i know who are, who are black or they're fill in the blank 
And I've told a lot of them, like, it's really interesting when you land in a conversation with a bunch of people who look like you, it, it would be shocking what you'd hear them actually say. Right. So all, all throughout my life growing up, I would hear those things and I would speak up about it. So it seemed very normal to just mention it in that chat. But I think as I've grown up, I've figured out how to do it in a way that isn't so offensive to other people. Because before I'd be like, shut up, you know, Mm -hmm. but I don't need to be like that anymore. And if I can teach people who I know care, then that's what I want to do. One of our really, this reminds me of one of our really early guests, John Mitchell, he he's like a coach they call him the purple coach but um you know he grew up half black half white he was in the his father was in the air force and you know like this was the 19 probably late 1960s 1970s and one of the things that he said on the episode was the idea of for him, like living in a white world and not feeling on the inside or inside, feeling like an outsider, and then moving to Boston at some point and living in a black community and still not feeling on the inside. And sort of like, it wasn't until he moved to later in his life and found his community that he finally found as if, or, or found a space where he was accepted and i kind of thought about that when you were just saying that yeah i guess and now that i'm older and now that i'm i guess more comfortable with who i am and i know who i am i feel like i i do fit in more with my reservation community than i did when i was younger but also for me i feel like an ideal true community is just you feel like you belong. Mm-hmm. So whether it's some spiritual or cultural or historical connection that you feel it's where what you say matters, where you know that you matter, where you know you can make a difference, the what you say people want to hear, you want to hear what other people are saying. That they're actually listening to you. Yeah. Yeah. So that to me is a true community. And I think that you can get that in all different parts of your life. Like these podcast communities are a true community to me. These group of people, you guys with the prosecutors too and in the North Pole. And I feel like those are true communities. But I think, and then I think also that that connects to being a family. Yeah. 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 I don't, yeah. I think, you know, I grew up with a great mom and mom and dad and a great brother. So sometimes in my head, I conflate, you know, like your closest loved ones with family, but I think you can find that family 
in a lot of different places. And I think we do all need it. We need people we listen to who share our values, who want to grow or want to learn or whatever it is, whichever piece. I was going to ask you, Carly, um, like, what does that idea of community mean to you? And what, but yeah, I, 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 I'm asking you in part because you're like at the center of so many communities and help, you know, you help them grow. You help people be connected. You're always there with a kind word, you know. Well, thank you. I'm not going to say, by the way, that you're the nicest person on earth like Jason does, because I feel like that puts pressure on you to be the nicest person on earth. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, that was very kind of you to say. Um, so really what community means to me has actually changed a lot. Um, one of the things that I have learned just over the past year is how important it is to me and how fulfilling it is to me to have a community of people who just share like these interests that I have and these passions that I have. Because um, I have a lot of friends and I have a lot of family that I'm really close to. And I that's not something that I've ever really been lacking. But what I haven't had is people who share just so many of these interests that I have. Like like podcasts are so important to me. They're so important to my life. And um, and they have been for a while. And ever since you know I was a little kid, I've always loved mysteries. And I've always loved good storytellers. And I've loved... Um, just hearing people talk and and tell stories. And so to find people this past year who share those same interests, who I can talk about it with, I never realized how much of a sense of belonging and community and fulfillment that would bring to me. Um, and since you know, I got involved in the gallery and other podcast groups in particular, um, what's been really surprising to me is how I've connected with people in those groups over non-podcast related things like there's people in the groups like um you know who I could talk to about parenting stuff or who I could talk to about work stuff or relationship stuff or you know really anything you know any kind of worry that I have I have people that I could talk to and, and lean on and that was something that I never ever expected to come from all of this um, yeah that's just been really 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 valuable and and surprising to me yeah, that word belonging, it's interesting to me. I I I I was actually surprised this year, I think on my end of how important that was for me. I was on one episode with um a minister, John Cleghorn, who actually is the son of um a college dean who was very meaningful and very supportive of me during the time that you're talking about Elizabeth during the difficult times. And, you know, I realized like for me that when I was growing up, my church was the place where I had my sense of belonging. And then that was severed. And then the New York times and newspapers and journalism were the place that I had my sense of belonging and that was severed. And there was a recent incident where occasionally people will get really mad at me for existing where somebody jumped on me and and it normally rolls off my back, right? But this one didn't. And I think it was in part that I think I have this enormous fear internally of losing my sense of belonging. And again, compounded, of course, uh, with losing my mom this year. But Bob, I saw you head nodding during Carly. So I wanted to give you a chance to jump in. Uh, I, I just, uh, I couldn't agree more with what they said. Um, it's just 
a group of people that you just connect with at a, a, a different level. And it really spoke to me when several of us who were at CrimeCon, when, you know, meeting people and realizing just how much you are similar to other people and just how, you know, in my mind, I don't know people I know normally, as I'll say normally, face to face that have the interest that I have. Mm. Like this, like the podcasting, like Carly was saying. And then then you meet all these people that do like it, right? And then you realize, oh, wow, but you also like other things that are outside of that. Um, it's very much what Carly was saying. It's, uh, I think that's spot on. Someone said to me this year, we're, we're like all weirdos in our own world. And they just weren't talking about like, true crime people. They were saying like everybody is a weirdo in their own world. They've got something where it's like abnormal that they're interested in it. But one of the great things, many horrible things about social media, many horrible things about the internet at large. But one of the great things about it is it allows you to find that like sense of belonging that Carly's talking about, that community that Sophie's talking about. So. I'm going to throw it to anybody else who wants to talk. I think Elizabeth wants to talk because I see, I see little, little signs. So um, let, me, let me throw in community, loved ones. Feel free to talk about the holidays, family. I know Jen, definitely. I want to know what your holidays community from your perspective. But go ahead, Elizabeth. No, I was just going to, I was just typing, you know, you can find your fellow weirdos, um, people that, it's amazing to me through the prosecutors, I found people like Sophie was saying, talk about Bigfoot. <laughs> and, you know, up until this year, my husband thought Bigfoot was not real until he saw something on the internet. I don't know. He's like, Bigfoot's real. I'm sitting trying to, to work. And all of a sudden he's yelling at the kitchen table, Bigfoot is real. And I said, well, yeah, I know. I've been telling you that for five years, but, um, and then, you know, a lot of the paranormal paranormal stuff, especially during October, and just finding people that share your interests where you may not have that other places. And I also typed about, I have friends who are interested in true crime, but they will not listen to a podcast. Mm. I do not know why. They just have no interest whatsoever in listening to podcasts. And they love Dateline. I said, oh, Dateline has a podcast. Nope. Yeah won't listen to it so it's um so i think it is one of the good things there's a lot of bad about the internet there's a lot of bad about facebook um but i think to me the one of the most redeeming qualities of social media is finding people that share your interests and um where i used to live jason that you are now calling northern virginia you know it was very hard keeping friendships but here, if, you know, Jennifer, she's in another country across a huge pond. And then there's, you know, if Carly moves, okay, that's fine. She can move wherever she wants to, but she's still part of the community. So I find that very refreshing too, that even though you're not in proximity physically to one another, one another you're still part of the community wherever you are. So it's kind of like how you define the North Pole, uh, Richie. It is what you make it. So how? Oh, it is what you make it. Is how you? Yes, because some of us have broken off into it is tropical, 
has salty blue water and palm trees and rum drinks. So <laughs> the um there's quite a contingent. There's a there's a fair debate about that. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing I'm guessing they're no like meteorologists or you know, uh, physicists who are part of the tropical argument. It's magic. It's- <laughs> right. Oh, yes, magicians. It's magicians. <laughs> well, so let me throw it to anybody else who wants to throw something in about uh, community. And I, I just echoing what you guys are saying, and I've said it a thousand times, and everyone's going to get bored about it. It's just amazing to have this community. And, you know, like, I don't tell all the stories, but I think if you guys could be in my inbox for like six months and see all the messages people send about how our episodes or our community of listeners have had a positive impact on their lives. I mean, I think it would just bring joy to 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 people to be able to do that. So Jen, Jason, Kathy, you want to throw anything in on this one? I think um, if you told me, Six to 12 months ago, then I'd be part of an online community. I'd have thought there's something wrong with you. <laughs> I was actually in the process, I was desperately trying to delete Facebook. I found it incredibly toxic um, going through, but it, it was under maintenance and it was impossible to delete it at the time. And the next thing I know, it's like within that period of the couple of weeks whilst it was out of action, I found these people it's like i realized that there's a group of people i start you know i was on twitter and then came over i was and um, joined um, santa maybe it was a huge it's been a catalyst of events that came from something very toxic that came out in may and after 22 years it's of this community that i left i've 22 years i'm suddenly healed and i'm finding a new community and mm. online that's honestly totally unexpected and it's that feeling of you can be yourself and you can present yourself as you are and you're accepted at face value and there is no question I think going back to you know Sophie reminds us we can it's easy to be pulled up if there's an issue we can have a conversation about it there's mm-hmm. no judgment there's no harshness which is incredibly unusual when you look at social media, how toxic and nasty people are, and then we're in this community of kindness where people genuinely care. Uh, Even, Jen, to your point, like churches, families, all sorts of different communities, I don't think it just applies there, but like there can be so much judgment sometimes. Um, I, I had no idea, though, that you found this community right around the time you were having yeah. a break from another community do it was it like a it, it was a short a period of time or was it like sorry it, it wasn't so much a break from the community it was um the church that i was involved with back in 2001 and i left in 2001 feeling there's something desperately wrong with me um i didn't fit in i couldn't align there was something just didn't feel right and i it came out the news came out in may this year that actually there was an issue with the church Mm-hmm. And resulting from that, I went on Twitter to go find a friend that I'd known from 2001, met up with her, and then just everything's just spiraled from there. I've met all of you, <laughs> and then that's taken me up to Facebook groups and just meeting this community of people who are really kind, and it's brought so much healing. Yeah. 
incredible. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Kathy, I'm going to turn to you, then I'm going to turn it to Jason. So, All right. Well, I'm always grateful to find new communities, I think in part because I, um, I'm single and I don't have children. And as I head towards the end of my career, I'm starting to be really conscious of making sure that I'm building a community around me, whether they're people that are here in town near me that I can spend actual physical time with or people that share my interests, because I know how dangerous it can be for people as they age to be alone. And so it's been really valuable to meet people online and through podcasts that share my interests and and also just to, I can feel needed, you know, I mean, I think when I first got involved with the Snake River Killer podcast, it was during a time when I was feeling really depressed and alone and old. And I'm, you know, contacted Brandon and had ideas about the show and about the cases. And I felt really invited in and as if my ideas and my thinking were valuable. And I don't always feel that way. Um, in my daily life, you know, I teach high school and I'm starting to feel like I'm <laughs> out a little bit, you know, I, I don't know if I have the riz or whatever it is the kids are calling it this year, um, you know, and try to maintain my sense of humor. But I'm really conscious of the fact that it's only going to be a few years before I'm just not going to be able to keep up. And I'm trying to be really attuned to what kind of world I'm building for myself after I'm done being a teacher, which has been my entire adult life. Yeah. No, that makes complete sense to me, that piece of it. Jason? I'm just going to throw it on me like that, I guess. Yeah. No. Um, no, no easy transition for you, buddy. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm the king of those, right? Yeah. Um, so I'll be really, really honest with you guys. Like the last several years for me have been very difficult. Um, I have not felt like I had a community. I have not felt like I have had people there for me by and large. Sam Maybe Criminal actually has created that community for me because people have rushed to it with their hopefulness, I think. And I think in a lot of ways, like that's what I was searching for is try to find some way to make my, I was trying to find that, you know, when I was writing it and as I continue to write it, still trying to find it often. Jason, we were, we were talking yesterday, I think on one of your events that, you know, I, I mentioned that idea that I believe nostalgia is, yes. is our mourning for, for something, you know, that we've lost. And yeah. it's also a roadmap for what we want to bring in, to the world. And I actually think your podcast is a great example of that by focusing on like Santa and Christmas and the holidays. It is very much nostalgic, right? Like, you know, it takes me back to peaceful and simple, simple times in life. But at the exact same time, it's also a roadmap. I can look at those feelings and those emotions that it evokes in me and get a roadmap for what 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 I want to bring into my life. And just based on listening to what you're saying, it sounds like 
that's exactly what happened with your podcast. Like that is what you just described was like it is going through a loss. You lost something. You didn't have it. You found it through nostalgia. Yeah, in a lot of ways, that's true. I mean, it's. I mean, we can't go through a, a therapy session now, but th- there are a lot of things that I've lost, I've never found, uh, you never had, and, and then now like finding them and those things, and um, like you know, I think the key for it was me writing this show um, because I finally, like, I didn't have a lot of con- like I look, I've, I've written you know a couple movies, I've written stuff. A bunch of a bunch of screenplays, but I never had any confidence in myself until I started started actually writing Santa Maybe a Criminal. And I thought this show would be mean nothing to anybody, just like most of most of it has never meant anything to anybody. And what I found was that I think a lot of people were feeling the same way as I was. And they started to find it and they started to fuel it. And then what it has done is it opened up my entire world. And it has given me, it's the greatest joy of my life, you know, besides being a dad. To be working on the show and to have people tell me, as you have told me, that the show has touched you in a very, very personal and um, endearing way. Bob has shared that with me. Jen, Carly, they've all shared that with me. Um, Bree on on our live yesterday shared that with me in a way that like just brings me to tears because my intention was just to write a show. It was not to do something that was meaningful to people. It was I wanted it to be meaningful for me, but what I didn't understand was that like it being meaningful to people would make it so much more meaningful to me than I could possibly imagine and, um, and has provided, uh, avenues for me to have the, the most special people in my life enter, enter my, enter my story, you know? Yeah. And, um, it's just been really, really great. It reminds me of like, we were talking earlier about sort of like the bad things that I did that then led to like such good things. It's like your sadness led to a pursuit and that pursuit led to joy. And so it's really joy that came out of sadness. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's sort of the, the, the never ending pursuit of life, right? You're trying to find joy. You're trying to find something that makes you feel complete and whole and you don't stop chasing until you find it. And so, you know, like, and it's like sort of like, it has different shades. Like Kathy talked about like shaping her future and you're getting at the idea of, I think healing and finding joy. And I think Bob and Carly got at the idea of like bringing a sense of belonging and then also finding community for Sophie and, and Jen. And I think in so many levels we're talking about, like if I could wrap it all up and, steal one of those phrases it's like it's really belonging in the sense even when you're talking about kathy shaping our future it's like finding our place in the world yes. finding whether it for you it's purpose or it's meaning or it's where you feel most whole like it's not 
it's not something that just comes to you. You have to work at it and make effort. And then that idea of loss, like that Jason's talking about, like he lost something during that time is like a decent transition to something else I wanted to talk about. Like a big theme of the year for me on the podcast has been loss. And the obvious one is, you know, I lost my mom, but Gloria, who we were talking about before came on, she lost her cousin, you know, 30 years ago, and it still hurts. Um, Greg Ligon, who talked about being a part of a cult, like he lost his religious community and lost a piece of himself. Like one of my early guests, Jerry Colonna, you know, I was going to have him on to talk about like his work in executive coaching and his former work as a venture capitalist. And like immediately the conversation just flowed to his childhood and his father's alcoholism, his mother's mental illness, and having to hide under the bed and listening to the footsteps as as his father came on. And that was like the loss of a youth for him, an ability to be a child or be be a kid. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about loss. And Bob, I know you've openly talked about losing your son. And, you know, I have a hard time even understanding what that must be like. Like we have words for widow, we have words for, um, you know, all sorts of different things, but I don't even think we have a word for parents who lose their children. And so I'm going to just throw it out to you because we were, we, we had a conversation where we were talking about that Anderson Cooper, Steve Colbert uh, video where, Colbert says, or Cooper asked Colbert about a comment he made about like what punishment of punishments of God are not a gift. And like, it was really hard to understand that when I first heard it, Jason actually is the one who shared it with me. And over time I've come to realize that there's probably some truth, but it's really hard to see sometimes. So Bob, it is hard to see, and there is truth, because it was um, 30-something years ago when I was young and um, was a paramedic, and I was gung-ho and cocky and probably arrogant to boot. And, you know, I'd take an approach, and when that happened, I was just totally blindsided, and it just completely changed my outlook on what's going on in the world, what's going on around me. And it totally changed my approach. So I was much more compassionate and caring because, and, you know, maybe that's just part of the normal process somewhere along the lines. Maybe you learn that. But for me, it was a dramatic shift, an immediate hit, if you will. And as as time went on, it really made a difference in how I interacted with people, uh, especially in the role when I was a paramedic in that role. And it wasn't until recently did I realize I handled that like I handled all of those horrible things you see in that world with the paramedics. I compartmentalized and put it away. But the one thing about the compartmentalization, and it does help you survive through it then, you still have to go deal with it at some point. And so I didn't realize until in the last year or so that it's 
hit me again. And there was so much uh, around that time that I just blocked out that I've started realizing. And, and a cathartic moment for me, ironically enough, was going to uh, Crime Con because where he's buried is fairly decent trip from where I'm at. And it's been a couple of years since I've been there. And mm. by going there, it was like those 30 something years had just came around in full circle for me. It was a totally different feeling, as emotional as it was. And all of that happens with our all of our interactions. You know, we all change in this. Just listen to all of you. It was like everything's happening, things in your life changes, and you go through certain things, and that kind of makes us who we are. And I don't know that I would give that up. Jason, you mentioned that about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if, if I could end up with the same results I had today, I would go through it again. As what I, I literally yeah. would go through it again. Yeah. It's hard to even imagine. So like, I mean, I understand like what you're saying is like, it's made you a better human being. I was just, I have a guest who's not going to come on and she gave this stark example of exactly what you're talking about, Bob. She said, so she's a detective and she's been one for a long time. And before that, she worked in a coroner's office and she said that she and her husband used to joke like i don't understand why or that they didn't understand that why why people would go and rush to hug their loved ones after they died of violent death and her husband earlier this year died in a motorcycle accident he was a prosecutor and she was a detective and they worked together and it's the first thing she did and she you know once he died in the hospital and she said in that moment like she felt sadness but she also knew at the same time this was going to make her a better human yeah and as hard as that feels uh at the time or even going through it it's it's still about choices i guess right and you need the right framework you need the right community we bring that back around. You need the right people. For me, ultimately, was I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go forward. I'm gonna survive somehow. Um, whatever that is, would have never in a million years guessed what how it progressed and where I am today. And I'm so thankful for it. But I, you know, it wasn't what I had sketched out. Right. <laughs> right? It wasn't the plan. It wasn't the plan. But as I joke now, I tell my wife this all the time. I said. I have to have a plan no matter what it is. I don't care if the plan changes 25 times. I'm fine with it. I just need a plan. And that's mm-hmm. what's kept me going, you know, so I know, okay, tomorrow I'm supposed to go do X, Y, and Z. Well, fine. Now I have something to do tomorrow. So I get up and I get ready and I may end up doing O, P, and Q, right? But mm-hmm. it's, it's, I don't know. It's just kind of weird in a way, but one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time. Sometimes whatever it takes, right? Yeah, exactly. I had a therapist who I I was such a mess and so anxious. She was like, Jason, you just have to take it one day at a time. And I'm like bawling, crying. And she's like, okay, maybe one minute for you. (laughs) And it was so true. Like woman, I, I, I was thinking about what Bob was saying, Jen, and what you said before about like finding your community right before you know, you had that revelation. And I was just thinking about like, there's like a cost to not processing your trauma. Like you have to 
process it to find that gift. I was gonna just ask if 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 you found any truth to that and in in your experience with that group and absolutely i think um from my experience it's i've lost community on many occasions it's obviously i I grew up in cape town and moved from there when i was 10 and you know it's before the days of email and keeping in contact with food but it's stale mail they moved to johannesburg and it was a totally different lifestyle and lived there for two years and had my best friend there who she's still my best friend she's incredible but after two years moved again and it's changing communities all the time and again I was involved in a church there that I'm no longer with um got to got married at 21 and my life changed and I had I was in a different position I had children earlier and none of my friends had to keep connection and I think part of what you need in community is connection Mm -hmm. and I didn't have that for Many years. I didn't actually have friends, really. It was very lonely. Um, it was building up. But I think it is taking that time to grieve and recognize what it is. And it is sometimes only on reflection that you realize the loss that it was. You know, one of the, one of the things that you just said there, Jen, like that idea of like reflection, only after reflection can we even see that there's a loss sometimes. and Absolutely. And that many of these different things like, having your children early may have created losses, even though it's a joyous thing. But, you know, like thinking about, like you grew up in South Africa, right? And you would normally think for somebody who's white, who grew up in South Africa during apartheid, hey, not that bad, right? But like you guys lost a certain amount of innocence and ability to be youth and all sorts of things because of that experience. What was that like? Um, I, Grew up very much. I was thinking this before when I think, think, think about loss. I think I lost my sense that the world was a safe place with justice and equity, and I don't ever remember having it. I mm. didn't understand what. Obviously, you're born into apartheid. You don't know what it is, um, but you see the suffering around. Yeah, and obviously, mm. I, I grew up very much aware of poverty, but I didn't realise that. It, I knew that the African people, black African people were suffering and I knew they didn't live in our communities. But it was only later that I realized why. And then I also had the guilt of the fact that I lived a privileged life because of it. Um, but at the same time, whilst growing up, yes, obviously being white South African, it does sound, there is privilege, but also it was, wasn't safe. Um, mm-hmm. I remember the post office blowing up, you know, cars being stoned. But it was so minimal for us compared to what was happening for the African community. Um, but I still lived with fear. I lived in Chalisburg whilst it was the murder capital and the rape capital of the world. Um, and people would just break into your house. And-, and I think sometimes it's hard for people to recognize that you can be going through an enormous loss for you as someone else is going through one that appears to be bigger beside them, but they can be just as meaningful. And they can think, be just as impactful. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think the difficulty for me is very much I'm far more likely to minimize my own suffering because I've seen the suffering of others. And it's realizing that loss. And it, it, it is that's it is really coming to the stage now. And I think it's, you know, I'm 42 and I'm learning now. I see all the beauty of my life, but I'm learning that there was losses there that I need to grieve and I need to draw on. But as I'm doing that, I'm finding parts of myself are coming back together. Yeah. Well, one thing... 
One thing I've learned over time, like the comparison game when it comes to pain makes no sense because pain is pain, right? Like there's this quote I like to use that pain, it's Khalil Gibran, is the breaking of the shell that encloses our understanding of the world. And that for a four-year-old who breaks his toy, that pain is as deep as it is for us when we're older. And that that also got me to stop using the line, they're starving children in Africa. Um, because that pain in that moment is just as, is so unbelievably deep. So I've learned over time that like, I cannot compare my pain to someone else's. And it plays out in helping me be more compassionate with other people. But the surprising part for me is it makes me be more compassionate toward myself. Like I lost that memento, which is not really a big deal and it doesn't really matter, but it hurts that much and that's okay. And it's valid. Yes. And Thanks I think for- this, this is something else, especially working in, I've uh, been working in family law, um, not doing it currently. That's another story, but, um, and it's very much for the children. So what the court may consider to be not important, if a child's having a traumatic response to an event, then it is a trauma to them. Mm-hmm. And it really needs to, we need to respect people. Mm-hmm. Need to, but again, learn for ourselves. And it's like, I very much advocate for children and other people. And it's learning those lessons for oneself and learning to give grace to oneself, which I do thank you. I think you've taught me a lot of that the last few months. You've um, just listening to you, it's, it has genuinely helped on that journey. And then, and it's also, about giving yourself giving yourself grace and it was from to yourself absolutely and i had a conversation mm-hmm. with you and you um on our facebook group for the um fireside chat and you said share something about grace do it and i shared a story that i hadn't told anybody um and i didn't realize how important it was to me and it was it was about receiving grace from a little black girl in cape town um she just came out through her arms around me and thanked me for coming to coming to a community center and that was such a release of realizing what I'd been holding back and the anger that I'd been holding back for myself and actually allowing myself to have grace in that situation as it wasn't my fault I was a child growing up in those circumstances and I can still I can give back to the, to the community but it's not a, a debt and following that in this has helped my wife has been the wonderful year because of that, I felt able to then contact my best friend from Johannesburg, who we'd had a sporadic conversation. She's been through a lot in the last few years, and you know we've run alongside each other. But I reached out to her and I said, "Let's have a coffee over a FaceTime chat." And we had a long conversation, and now we are just back to exactly where we were when we were eleven, and realized that there is a possibility to be soulmates as friends. Um, and she's our lives just a incredible and she's taught me so much and I think something I wanted to share is that she, t- she told me 2012 was a horrific year for her um, and she had a therapist who told her to take snapshots for the joyous moments because when you're going through absolute I mean I can't unimaginable sorrow and unimaginable loss there are moments of joy and we take those snapshots and we hold them close because we need to have those memories so we can hold on to it so we can see the light and bring that light back into the darkness and slowly the snapshots build up and we have we can see the beauty yeah. amongst the suffering. Kathy, I know I told some people in my group, but I don't know if I told you this, but that when I went out into Idaho in the Lewis Clark Valley, 
every place somewhere something horrible happened, I turned around and tried to find a beautiful picture. And that was my only coping mechanism to be able to manage that. And I know to all of Jen's points, everyone probably on this call, most people on this call probably believe that it's um that what she's saying is true about comparison, but at the same time, we were probably also comparing ourselves to her and Bob as that was happening. So me talking right now is the long prelude that lets you uh, <laughs> move past that. Cause I wanted to open it up to everybody else just about like your own losses and what's come of them, whether it's good or bad or that you feel you can share. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to sort of organize my thoughts around this. Um, it's fine. I feel like, I mean, in part, I'm, I feel guilty because I have been very fortunate in that I have not experienced big losses and anxious because I know that they're ahead mm-hmm. of me, right? That my parents are still alive and doing well, but they're 84. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like in, I'm going through a period right now where I'm really lucky that I'm content in my job and my life and I have so many things to be thankful for that I can use that strength and that just power I think that comes from being happy and content and not feeling a real emptiness. I'm trying to use that to give back to other people that I know are experiencing or have experienced loss. It's one of the things that's drawn me to the podcast and to working with Brandon is that I know I can't feel what those people feel, but I can lend what I can do to help alleviate their pain. And my hope is that the work that I do and the research that we're doing might, might be able to help other people with the loss that they've experienced. And so I'm trying to contribute my lack of loss to help other people who've um, haven't had it as, you know, haven't been as fortunate as I've been. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I mean, that kind of goes back to that, like, piece of it. The only thing I would add to Colbert's point is like, loss can be a gift if you choose to make it. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but you can certainly choose for it to just remain a punishment. Right. Well, I had a marriage that ended. I had anticipated that I would be a person who was married and had family. And it's turned out that not being married has allowed me to do so many amazing things, right? I wrote for TV for a year. I've had a a great teaching career. I'm doing this podcast Mm -hmm. and I have the freedom to come and go as I please. And it's not something I would have predicted the time at the time when my marriage was ending and I felt like I'd failed. So Kathy's humble. Do you guys know about her TV writing? Tell them about your TV writing. And and I'm going to tell you about that as a, I guess you could view it as a loss as well, because it's, I wasn't good at it. And I was uninvited back, which is a sort of my way of saying that I was basically fired. Um, I heard she was good at it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Long story short, I I did the same thing I did with Brandon. I wrote to a writer whose work I admired, 
And that writer was Rob Thomas. And we became friends. And then he invited me to come write for the show. And at the time, I, the first time he asked me, I said no, <clears throat> because I was still married. And then in the course of a year, my marriage ended. And so when he invited me to come write for the second season, I said yes. And it was a huge learning experience. Um, you know, I'd been a teacher for 15 years, and then I went to live in Hollywood. And it was just bizarre, a very strange experience, but I learned a lot. Unexpected. And I was sorry, you know, for a long time, I couldn't admit to people that I had been, you know, let go. And now I laugh. I mean, it. <laughs> who cares, right? It's so far behind me now, and I've become good at the thing that I do and love the most, which is being a teacher. And it's just a little glitch in the background, I guess. An interesting one. Or the thing that helps you find the thing that you loved, because, you know, what are the odds if that hadn't happened, you wouldn't have found that? It turns out sitting at a table for six hours a day with people is not my thing. <laughs> that as much as I love writing and ideas, sitting at a table talking about them with people for six hours just was not my groove. Um, you know, and uh, teaching high school, I'm you have to be active, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let me throw it out to you guys. I want to ask two questions. Double barreled question. Imagine that. One, I wanted to ask you guys about like what episode or guest was most meaningful um, to you this year. And I also want to ask you about the most meaningful experiences for you this year, period. And I'm going to start with, I think, Jason. And then I'm going to work my way through the screen, which will take me to Elizabeth, Jen, Bob, Carly, Sophie, then Kathy. So prepare yourselves. <laughs> Jason was trying to hide behind his cup just then. <laughs> Jason thinks we can hear him. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I was I, I was actually saying all the, the really naughty things about what you <laughs> <on> <laughs> like I hope you guys can redub all the bad things I said over that. Um Yeah, so I, I I've loved so many of the things that you've done this year in terms of interviews. Um of course I have a very special place in my heart for Brett and Alice. Um I think you gave them an opportunity to really showcase the people that they are and the people that I know because I edit their show. So I know them pretty well, particularly Brett. And I think that you really gave them an opportunity to, to, to shine through the way that you allow everybody else to shine and that you open up the, the opportunity for people to, to be who they are. And um, only someone who is so empathetic and so kind and, and understands who's lived the wars, as we've discussed, in their lives. And you did, th you did that for me, too, by the way. Hmm. Um, but, like, I th just think you understand. Like, you, there's, no, there's no reason to take the, the – I'm sorry, that was my – that came up. That was my free storage. 
nope. alert. But it was um, like you, you find a way to like just create a safe space for people because I think you understand that there have been a lot of unsafe spaces. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, as, as I've told you since the first time I ever talked to you, like I admire so much your thirst for curiosity, the way that you want, you really want to get to know people. And it's so beyond artifice. It's so beyond surface. It is, you want to drill down and get to know the people. And that's why I'm so thrilled to be able to get to work with you in the coming year. Yeah. And I, like, I, I, like, I just, I, I respect you so much. And, and so that's part of the question. What was the, what was the second part of the question? Meaningful thing for you this year. And one thing, while you think of that, I'll say something Brett said. So when I wanted him to come to on in October to talk about unexplained things, I was like, hey, man, I know you're really busy. I know you blah, 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 blah. But, you know, could I get you to come on for this? And he said, I'd come on to talk to you about anything, right? And I said, why? Of course, because I was curious. And he said, essentially, because he comes on and we have these natural conversations and he figures out things and one of the things he figured out in that first episode was how important community was. So I'm glad we as a community have been able to give back to Brett and Alice in the same way that they've given to us. So, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've done a really good job of fostering that community. And it's, it's, it's very special. Like, they're really, really special kind of people. And I appreciate my adjacency to them. So meaningful things. So I said, somebody posted on um, Twitter X, whatever you want to call it, Twitter. I call it Twitter still. So I'll always call it, call it Twitter. Somebody posted on Twitter a couple weeks ago about like, what are you the most thankful for this year? And I said, the friendships I've made, the people I've met or something like that. And so, you know, I didn't know a lot of you all and, you know, and some of you, I still don't know in real life. I've like met you, not met you in person, but, um, you know, I went to Austin back. When was that? In like August, maybe. I don't know when it was. Before then, Carly will probably know. She's not August. August. August, right. So I'm sitting there. And I'm, um, I'm at the bar talking to people and I get a big hug from somebody from behind and who was it? But it was Carly and Shocking. right. And then I go to crime con and I get a hug from Bob and I get a hug from you, Jason. I got a hug from you or actually earlier we went to dinner. We won't, we won't talk about it at dinner, but I'm <laughs> get in trouble here. But I got a hug from you then, and I've gotten so many amazing, I've got so much, uh, I've, I, again, it goes back to the thing that I was saying earlier, like, it's really hard to do, to produce anything, first of all. Um, it's hard when you're carrying around baggage from your whole life, too. But, but the people that you meet along the way who give you the hugs, who give you the smiles, 
who tell you they appreciate you, who tell you that they now believe in Christmas after they hadn't for years. Like Jen told me, I hope that's not out of school, Jen, you told me that. Like so many people have said that like my little tiny show that I produce in this little tiny office um, has meant something to them is, has been like, again, like I can't, I can't even describe how much it makes me feel like I've done something really, really important. And the, the, the people, the people are the most important thing to me. And and I, I love all of you for that. So, I mean, I think that thing that you're talking about, like those people who say you brought back Christmas for them to me, what it really means for me when I say something like that is you've brought back hope for me in something more innocent and pure and good. And I think that's like at its core, what some of those people are talking about and it's represented by Christmas. Right. Isn't it interesting, Jason, that the exact same thing you were trying to create for yourself by doing this, by working on this is the exact same thing you've created for so many people. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I sort of danced around this earlier. We talked about the nostalgia factor. And I think that for so many people, Christmas, that, I mean, you connect with that because it's before you come, before you have all the baggage, before you have all the problems, before, like it's an innocent, pure, beautiful time where you're just, you know, getting, you're, you're receiving something really happy, right? And, like, I think I was like trying to like get back there myself and, uh, in some kind of way, some, uh, some people have come along for that ride. And I, like I kid, I could not ever, I could not ever, um, express my appreciation for those things that people have, you know, embraced the show or have supported me. So it's awesome. You're awesome, man. Thank you. I'm going to go cry now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Feel free. You can stay here and do that. Um, Elizabeth. Okay. So I'm going to be quick because I do want to piggyback or go back, circle back to what Kathy was talking about quickly. Um, I think my favorite episodes of several, I did like the um, one, of course, with the prosecutors. I did. Um, really enjoy that i love the one robert parma parma too yeah from the broken systems podcast um getting to know him and um what he's trying to do and bring about in the true crime uh community and um of course the was it lost sheep the one about the um murder sheep oh about what the the religious cult the oh yes Greg Ligon yes. um yeah he was a part of that cult so I thought those were really good and of course my favorite is that attorney you had on the does guardianships yeah. <laughs> I was that waiting was for my favorite <laughs> either you or Jason to mention your own episode <laughs> yeah I thought that to me I Elizabeth I would have never guessed that topic or thought of that topic and I'm so glad you brought it up to me because, you know, there's this whole space of law that's very different, that's meant to help people and protect people. And I found that so powerful because we don't 
I think we don't always think, and you know, mental health is near and dear to me, but we don't always think of that aspect of it or the people who are going out and fighting those battles and dealing with all that stress and complications, trying to balance um, people's rights with their well-being. So, you know, that was definitely one of my my favorite episodes to do. And that granny kidnapping case, whoa. Yeah, I'm telling you, second year in practice. I haven't seen anything like it, probably never will. So um, let's pray. Yes, <laughs> let's. Um, but to circle back on what Kathy was saying, I went through a divorce, which is like a death, it's a loss. Um, it was unexpected, it kind of hit me out of nowhere. And I would say it was as traumatic as losing my mother. Um, but it's different because the person is still alive, the person you loved, your best friend. And it's like a whole, your world has been turned upside down. Am I glad it happened now? Um, almost 10 years later? Absolutely. Um, I'm in a better place. I would not have done what I'm doing. I don't think if I was still in that relationship. So um, it, you know, it was meant to be and it happened. And um it was hard to see at the time, but it was, um, you know, I came through it a better person. So there is uh, something to be said for that. And um, the worst, the most hurtful loss I had other than that one was when my father died. And I believe I told you, Jason, I'm not sure um, that he told me on his deathbed that he never loved me. And he called me a bunch of names that were not very nice. And uh, that was Christmas Eve. And he ended up passing about three or four weeks later. Mm. And having to, and I will say that probably masked me up just as much as the divorce. Trying to, but it, like you were saying, you have to face the trauma. You have to face that grief head on mm. and work through it. and. Um, so during the holidays, it's a little hard to go back and, but now I have pity for him and that he was just not a very nice person. And it is a bit freeing as well that he's not here any longer to critic because he criticized me my entire life. Have you ever, Elizabeth, heard of, uh, Judith Vorse, the, um, children's book writer? No. She wrote this book on loss, and I keep it bookmarked, like one section of it bookmarked on my computer. And what you were saying about those, like, you know, your mother's loss and how deep it was, but your divorce, it it also was a loss, like a death, but the person walking around, or that even when your father died, the loss wasn't his death, but those words. And, and in it, Vorce says that like when we think of loss, we think of loss through death, right? Of the people that we love. But loss is a far more encompassing theme in our life for we lose not only through death, but also leaving and being left by changing and letting go and moving on. And and then she says, like, and our losses not only include our separations and departures from those we love, but our conscious and unconscious losses of romantic dreams, impossible expectations, illusions of freedom and power, illusions of safety, and even sort of the loss of our younger self, you know, that self that thought it 
would be unwrinkled and invulnerable and immortal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like we lose when we're little kids when we realize that our mother's love can't just be our, ours alone or that when we're parents and we realize that things can't just be kissed and made better or we lose when because of our anatomy we don't have an opportunity and we lose when we see the flaws in any connection that we have the loss is everywhere but what she says at the end is that you know we can't provide ourselves protection from loss it's a part of life mm-hmm. and those losses are necessary because we grow by losing and leaving and letting go and she ends powerfully with like for the road to human development is paved with renunciation throughout our life we grow by giving up we give up some of our deepest attachments to others we give up certain cherished parts of ourselves we must conform in the dreams we dream as well as our intimate relationships all that we will never have and never will be and that passionate investment leaves us vulnerable to loss and sometimes no matter how clever we are we must lose and it reminds me of queen elizabeth's quote which is like grief is the price we pay for having loved mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah thanks elizabeth for sharing that jen so I'm going to just carry on from that. Before I answer the question that was actually asked, I think I think it's really important what Elizabeth and Kathy have both raised. Actually, regarding divorce, I can't speak about losing a loved one in the circumstances, or sorry, a parent. That's not a loved one. The parents, Elizabeth's circumstances. But when I used to work with um, divorce clients, especially I used to do domestic abuse and people would come and it's almost as if they have to have a party at the end of the divorce and there's all the celebration. And it makes it very difficult to actually go through the trauma of a loss and a grief because it is something, it is a loss. It is a loss of not the relationship, of not the person who it turned out to be, but the person who you thought it was and well, the and, future that you thought and, you had. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned over time, not just with divorce, but like loss in general. We as humans have a natural tendency when something bad like that is happening to somebody to turn it in a party, right? Because that's our version of kissing it and making it go away better. And that there's a certain laziness and failure to putting a positive spin on everything. Absolutely. And I think, I think the permission to grieve is so important and it's so often unheard. Um, I, I didn't even think about it. I was having a conversation with a, a client years ago. And she was, she didn't understand why she was feeling that she was feeling because she thought she should be glad that the marriage was over. And I said, you know, explain, just you're allowed to grieve him. And from that, it, it felt like nothing, saying nothing, but it didn't, that permission to grieve actually turned her life around. And she went from being unemployed to getting, to getting employment, from being, you know, to be able to work through a medication for a depression. And it's those simple permissions that we think are every day must be given and we must recognize it rather than doing the kiss it better. And, let's have a party and let's celebrate because you got rid of that and using all the insulting language that we use towards ex-partners, which is absolutely valid at times, but we mustn't use that language in a way to inhibit the person coming out of the relationship from actually grieving the loss 
of the attachment that they thought they had. Yeah. Which yeah. probably brings me on to my favourite episodes. Oh, not my favourite episodes. Three that, that I've got three um, that really spoke out to me. I want to start with Victoria Grady talking of attachments. Um, and I think her work on attachment workplaces and change of technology and it really Did you know that the first time Victoria and she and I have been friends for a while ever thought about the 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 reason why she as a business professor decided to research attachment, she realized in the episode that it was the loss of her husband. Really? Her husband in her twenties. Yep. First time and and it just tied in very much with the work that I'm doing because so I'm I'm just going to jump around. Uh, This is how way I speak. Please accept apologies, but sorry. So go to episode one. First one I want to refer to is John Mitchell and speaking about mental health and law and mental health coaching with lawyers. And so Mm -hmm. that really resonated with me because it is something that I've seen that is missing and isn't adequate, and that came voice uh, gave me the boost I needed to go towards working for on my PhD, specifically looking for mental health uh, support for lawyers, and then I hopefully passed out to other workplace. But that was a catalyst. And then listening to Victoria, that was very much a real uh, lightly bolt moment of this is important. This is something that I need to look at. Um, we went through the COVID-19 lockdown and um, specifically, if we look at that and the change in the court system, we're suddenly going to being present at court to everything being done by telephone and video and just the way it performs. So although it may be simplified, it might seem like it's, you know, it's running safely. You're not spending so much time at court, but it changed things for a lot of people. And it was an attachment and it was the way we did things. And we mm. do a lot in law where it, procedures change and it causes a whole lot more stress. So that's really fed into the work that I want to look at and I want to look at Victoria's work and what she's doing and just bring that in the part of the pattern and how we change things as well as bringing on the mental health support specifically. So, so that was really yeah. helpful. And then Reverend John Peggle was just a breath of fresh air. I think coming from the background of being unsure in my, you know, grew up in very conservative Christianity and then hearing somebody who's, very open and accepting and seeing the fault in the church, but having the grace to welcome people. That was um, just as they are. Really appreciated that. Bob, you're up. I'm up. Yeah, I'll go next. <laughs> so I think uh, favorite episodes would have to be, oh, there's so many of them that I really like, like the one that Elizabeth did, uh, the prosecutors and um, Jason, of course. I I like so many of the episodes, but uh Julia Kelly's uh, episode, I think, is one of my favorites. Of course, everybody um, and Jason's as well. I think those are. What was it about Julia's episode that stuck out to you? I think it was kind of just the whole feel. Um, I'm always been so fascinated by profiling. And so that itself may have just drawn drew me in because I do love their podcast, too, that she does. That's um and specifically, I think really the whole, it was the whole experience when I walked away. I don't know how to give it better description than that. But, and then um, I think make meaningful this year, a couple of things. My wife, who's really my best friend, we're very close. She's been a great support with a lot of things that are going on. And, and the other big 
major thing that makes me smile is, of course, the birth of my uh, grandson. Uh, actually just celebrated his uh, first birthday, and he is, what a joy it is. And my wife and I both, since we got married later in life, we didn't see each other with small kids. And t- she is exactly with him as I would have expected her to be. And it's really a, a really loving and rewarding. And it's so fun to see that. So it's like we got to experience that uh, because he only lives a couple of miles away. So we get to see him all the time. So that's that's been a really happy place. Puts everything else in perspective where eh, maybe some other things aren't so worrisome. Yeah, no. I absolutely get that. I absolutely get that. The, I guess we're going to go to Sophie, who has to pick her son up soon, because I, on brand for every episode I do, if you schedule it for X amount of time, multiply that by two, and that's the actual amount of time. What did I say? <laughs> well, and I, I told her, I was like, it might, it might run later. But he sent me a text today. I was like, oh, it'll be wrapping up around two. He's like, so no, four. you said one thirty, and I said thirty. So he said, said four. You mean four. And you said probably five. Well, I thought I had till two thirty, but I was wrong. <laughs> Go for it. Um, so what was the first my favorite, favorite episode? episode or episodes and then something meaningful for you this year? It's really hard for me to pick a favorite. I love all the episodes with all the other podcasters. I think they're all great. I love the one with Elizabeth. That was so interesting to me. But if I had to pick a non-podcaster, it would be um, Greg's. Greg Ligon. Greg Ligon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the cult episode. What was it about that one? A number of people had mentioned that. I think just the way he talked about things, he the perspective that he had on his life after leaving. Yeah. There's this one thing he said where he said that I think applied even beyond cults where he said that a part of religious trauma syndrome, and I think it's so much, is that you feel like you're alone. And that message he said that you're not alone and that there are other people out there and that when you go through it, there are other people who are going to need you. I think it applies to so much. Well, and I, and maybe because it was about religion that it interested me so much because I didn't grow up religious at all. Like we were very spiritual, but so when people talk about religions and I just find it so fascinating. And I'm going to circle back to what other people had talked about, too. Um, Back to Jason Ritchie. I think one of the things that I really enjoyed or enjoy about Santa May Be a Criminal is that it made Christmas fun for me again. As an adult, I'm used to being Santa, you know. I get to buy all the gifts and do all the not so much fun Christmas stuff that this was a whole new take on Christmas <laughs> and it made it exciting for me again. And like Santa's just running around drinking and flying. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, anyone who listens to this episode who doesn't know who he is is going to think his name is Jason Ritchie. <laughs> 
Um, and for those of you who haven't listened to Santa Maybe Criminal, I'm not giving you the answer here. You need to go listen to Santa Maybe Criminal and you'll yes. figure it out. And I, so for years, I'm like, yeah, Christmas is cool, whatever. It's super cool to like see my kids get stuff, but it was just another holiday. But now I'm like, Santa is really cool and Christmas is really fun. So I just wanted to tell you that. And then going back to what Kathy had said about um, her divorce. I also went through a really traumatic breakup. The whole after effects of it, it was awful. But I'm so thankful for it. And I'm so thankful that it it happened. And my perspective on life after it happened, it changed, but it changed for the better. Um the loss of that relationship gave me so much more freedom. And that's how I found all of you because I had so much time and I was just going through it. So I'm like, I'm just going to listen to all these podcasts. And I did. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I had been in that relationship. Yeah. When I lost my dog a few months ago, it was the most traumatic, awful grief stricken time I've ever been through. And there's some people who will be like, it's just a dog, but he was my best friend for 14 years. And I don't think I would have been able to grieve for him how I needed to, if I had been in that relationship, I wouldn't mm. have the like freedom to express my grief. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, That's so powerful. Oh, and then also I don't think my son, my youngest son, would be able to be who he is if I went to went through that loss of my relationship. So I don't even like calling it a loss. I gained so much by getting rid of that relationship. It was a gift. It was. It really, really was. So that also, I think, brings it back to my most meaningful things this year is being able to have all this freedom that I have to do the things that I really want to do. And also that I was able to meet everyone that I've met. That's awesome. That's so awesome. All right, Sophie. I love you. I love Sophie, you too. You're awesome. Well, yeah. thank you. Okay. I'm going to mute this and shut off my camera and go get my kit. <laughs> all right so day, Sophie. and i'm sorry i can't listen to the rest of you guys and i would love to but i will oh. well you'll hear it soon and maybe you guys will still be here when i get back yeah <laughs> <laughs> so who knows but if you get a five-star review we might answer your question okay okay <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Jason. You're welcome. Thank you. So who wants to go next? Just know that whoever goes after them has to close. <laughs> I've got two left, right? Kathy and Carly, or is it just Carly? So Kathy, Kathy raises the hand. I'll do it. 
Um, just be, I think in part because I'm probably the newest member of the group and probably have the least amount of familiarity with the podcast so far because I kind of just jumped on board, right? I think the first time, Jason, you and I interacted was maybe September? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, in the fall, right before I made my trip. Right yeah, because you, um, you were over here in the Pacific Northwest in what, late October? Early October. Early, Early October. October. Okay. Well, at any rate, that's my excuse for not being super well-versed. But my favorite episodes so far have been, um, I, I mean, really, it's hard to say. What I like about your podcast is the style and the way that you have thoughtful and really provocative questions that you ask your guests. Because I'm a, I'm a huge learner. I mean, I listen to podcasts because I want to know stuff that I didn't know before I listened. And so I really appreciate the episodes where you have someone on who's an expert in what they do, like Julia Cowley. Mm-hmm. And Bob Mata, who I've really, you know, grown to respect because I just, I have such a huge respect for defense attorneys. Um, one of my close friends yeah. um, is a defense attorney. And I think what they do is so extraordinarily important. And it's often maligned, but it's, 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 you know, I like to say like, and Bob, wherever you are, don't let this go to your ego, but uh, they're, they are the wall between us and, and not having our rights. Right. And I, you know, I teach forensic psychology and we get into the law a little bit and I remind my students over and over again how important their rights are and, you know, ask them to memorize, I want a lawyer before they finish my class. Because one of the most important things they need to know about is, you know, how they are protected. And um, so I appreciate the shows that you do where you teach people about new things like that. Of course, I appreciated hearing from Gloria. Um, I think just her passion and her dedication to finding justice and answers for Christina and Brandy and the other victims in the Valley is just so incredibly moving. And then your recent episode with Brandon, where he talks about the toll that it takes on those of us who investigate crime and how it really does, it it does hurt us at times to investigate the lives of people who've been cut short and to hear about people who lacked empathy and compassion and did horrible things to others. And I think, you know, what Brandon had to say and what, and what you brought out in that conversation is really important for all of us who are working in this, in this realm, you know, that we have to take care of ourselves and we have to take care of each other because it's hard work. Kathy, I've never told you this, but Brandon and I were going to do an episode and we had thought of different, or I had thought of different avenues, but one of the ideas was really focusing on that cost of telling other people's stories. But it was actually a conversation you and I had on Facebook that really solidified for me the the pain, the discomfort, the the cost that people pay. And that ended up sort of like pushing us toward, we're not pushing us toward, pushing me toward asking more about that. So, all right, Carly, you're the closer. Right? Yeah, it's the best for last. So favorite episodes and meaningful, meaningful things. Okay, so my favorite episode still is the one that I always tell everybody about, which is the first one, where you are interviewed, 
because because as I've told you, just a lot of the things that you have shared about yourself and your experiences and your life have been really, really meaningful to me and have stuck with me. And that first episode was, it just really kind of, it was an introduction to who you are as a person. And I just really connected with it right away. And it meant a lot to me. And really every episode and every time you have shared things about yourself um, and and your experiences, it always is just meaningful to me and it always connects with me. Um, and so that would be my favorite episode always. Um, and the most meaningful experience this year, and I really mean this, and you might think this is funny, but the most meaningful experiences I've had this year was really the conversations that I have had with people like you, Jason, in particular, the conversations that we had in person um, mm. in Atlanta. Um, it kind of makes me want to cry, but um, the just the times that I shared with you and Jason and Robert and a lot of others, um, but you guys in particular, the things that I was able to talk with you about and connect with you about and share with you and the laughter that I shared with you. I think that was the most I've laughed in 24 hours, like this entire year. (laughs) Are are you talking about when everybody for the meetup in Atlanta? Yes. Yeah. I remember you, I don't know if it was right before you left, but very close. You were like, this is the best day of my life. And I was like, this is a pretty good day. (laughs) It was. It It, it really was. It was um, one of the best, most some of the most meaningful conversations that I have had in a very long time that I'm so grateful for. Um, And so to me that just, it was kind of like a great way to end this year where this year kind of started off with me getting to know you, um, getting to know a lot of you and then to end it in December, getting to be with you guys in person and to have Mm -hmm. conversations in person. um, I just left that experience feeling so good. And like a lot of, weights were lifted off me and I felt happy and I felt joyful and I, you know, just had so much laughter. And that was without a doubt, the most meaningful experience that I've had this entire year. Oh, that's awesome. That was excellent. Awesome. 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 Awesome clothes. Jason's making a reference to crazy trips, but the um not, not a sponsor hashtag not a sponsor. <laughs> yes absolutely no although if Tobo Chico wants to be a sponsor um but one of the things I mean it's really interesting like you were talking Kathy about growing and learning and many of the people up front were talking about like healing and finding community and all those other things and I told you guys I wouldn't have expected any of this you know, it really wasn't my goal, and I'm not sure what my goal was, but like those are all the things that I get out of the the podcast. And the conversations with the guests are powerful because I learn things in the moment every time about myself, about other people. And, you know, that's what like I think authenticity and picking good guests and being willing to share about yourself um can bring. But it pales in comparison to what I learn from my listeners and my relationships with them. And um, so I just want to say, like, when I say these are real friendships, that's not like a, you know, that's not like a throwaway line or something that I'm supposed to say. These are real um, deep 
friendships. And I agree with Carly. One of the best days of the year for me was spending time with you guys in Atlanta. And some of the best conversations I've had this year have been with my listeners as well as my guests. And I'm hoping for many more, hoping for many more guest suggestions from you guys. And I'm hoping that you have a new year of joy and happiness. But if you don't, and it is sadness, you can bring that too. Because like we've been talking about, life is about joy and it is about suffering. And I just want to be able to meet you and the listeners, wherever you're at, authentically. And like Jen was saying, giving people permission to feel however they feel in whatever moment. So anyway, people, we're good. (laughs) See you next year. I can't believe we got out before. Thank you, everyone. Before Christmas. Christmas. (laughs) Impressive. Impressive. If you'd like to join us for more discussions with us and other listeners, we can be found on most social media platforms, including a listener run Facebook group called the Silver Linings Fireside Chat. For deeper conversations with our guests and live conversations with other listeners, You can also join us at our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash the Silver Linings Handbook. This is Jason Blair, and this is the Silver Linings Handbook Podcast. We'll see you guys all again next week.